0: My warmest love and greetings to all of you. Um, uh, I know it's been a uh, somewhat of a tender morning for us this morning as we um, think of our friends. Uh, we have many friends in Ukraine, so it's it's not easy. And I'm sure many of you um, probably have people that you love as well in those surrounding Baltic countries. And so we, we trust God. Uh, I felt this morning, you know, sometimes fear can Uh, overwhelm us and we can feel like there is no hope Uh, but we have a God who is a God of hope we have a God of power and he is the one that is sovereign over this world not any human being and he will bring about his good purposes um, so it's it's really encouraging that actually the series that we're doing called Living Hope um, is uh, about, as Ant has often said when he's preached out of the series, is it's speaking into a context where people were under incredibly difficult times. And uh, in the context of what we've been speaking out into chapter three, we see that specifically Peter's been talking to the Christians who are, In the the diaspora, which was in modern-day Turkey, they were spread out through that region. They were um, refugees, persecuted people. And so we almost see the same thing being played out in our world today in many different scenarios, but especially at this time in in Ukraine as well. So this is a letter that would have been written into that kind of context. Um, We know that um, he was writing to to people who were still bound up in slavery that had become Christians, but were under the um, oppression of harsh masters. And last few weeks, we also looked at some of the women who had come to faith, but they were still married to men who would, or husbands that no longer didn't believe in Jesus. And so they had very difficult, challenging ways of learning how to live out their married lives in those contexts. And so this morning, we come to our next a section um, in 1 Peter 3, which is from verses 8 to 12. And um, I'd like to read that to you, and we're going to unpack that a bit. So um, I'm sure those words will come up for you. And it starts off with these wonderful words. Have we got that coming up? It says, um, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, Love each other as brothers and sisters, and it's the evidence and sign to the rest of the world that the grace of God is working in and through us. And I think that's such a wonderful thing that as he's speaking to the church at large in that diaspora, so God is... This, this morning, he's able to say, this is a message for every one of us. It doesn't matter what our situation, doesn't matter where we find us. Finally, all of you, this is something I want to speak into your hearts this morning. So what Peter then begins to do is he begins to unpack what and disorderly manner are always in great danger of being defeated. And this is how they spoke about he said because what happened was if the soldiers were disorderly then what when they were um, suddenly advanced upon in battle they were they didn't know where to find their platoons they were t- t- caught unawares and so keeping a step was a discipline to keep them focused and on the ready and so there's this this thing that Peter is saying, be in one accord, let's keep in step, let's march together, let's not all just be going this way and that, everyone about their own thing. Let us say, what God, what is your heart, what is your vision, what is your purpose for this time, and let us keep our hearts in step with that. You see, because soldiers, uh, they submit their own preferences or agendas to the commands of their officer. And so too, for as members of Christ's body, we are called to submit our lives in obedience to God's word and to the voice of his Holy Spirit. And I believe that as each of us do this, as we, in the morning, as you read his word and as you hear the voice of his spirit and you obey those things that he's showing you, as we each keep in step with Jesus, we keep in step with each other. Oh, thank you, Sean. <laughs> we keep in step with each other. Together, we find the mind of Christ as we listen to his spirit. Now, I, I want to tell you a little story. Um, maybe you, as a child, grew up with uh, Aesop's fables, um, that was something I really enjoyed as a child. And I I remembered as I was preparing a story which I looked up, which is called The Three Bullocks and the Lion. Does anyone know that's Aesop's fable? Um, But I'm going to just tell you the story this morning. A lion had been watching three bullocks feeding in an open field. He had tried to attack them several times. But they had kept together and helped each other drive him off. The lion had little hope of eating them, for he was no match for three strong bullocks with their sharp horns and hooves. But he could not keep away from that field, for it is hard to resist watching a good meal, even when there's little chance of having it. Then one day, the bullocks had a quarrel, and when the hungry lion came to look at them and lick his chops, As he was accustomed to do, he found them in separate corners of the field, as far away from one another as they could get. It was now an easy matter for the lion to attack them one at a time. And this he proceeded to do with the greatest satisfaction and relish. And the moral of the story is, unity is strength. So this is one of Aesop's fables. And we can see also in one, in 1 Peter later on when we get to chapter 5, actually Peter uses a very similar analogy in verses 8 and 9. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him, strong in your faith. And so I want to... I want to uh, appeal to us as a a church family, that we put aside those things which take us away from Christ, which take our hearts away from our devotion to him, and that we actually come and we focus on him, and as we do that, he draws us into unity together, and we find his heart together. So let us be those that are conscientiously doing that, keeping our hearts unified around his truth and his gospel and where we're going as a church family. Then the second thing that Peter says to the church, this is how we to work out submission, all of us together. So the first thing is that we keep of one mind. But the second thing he says is sympathize with each other. And uh, this the, the Greek word here is sympathis. And uh, this means, in, in the Greek, it means to have fellow feeling and mutual commiserations. It's, it's that kind of thing where you think, I really see what other people are going through. I understand. But in the English, um, there's another word which I think also emphasizes what Peter is trying to say. And that is the word empathy. Um, so there's sympathy and there's empathy, and they are slightly different. But I think that when Peter is imploring us to show sympathy, I think he's also including this essence of empathy in that. So what is the difference? Sympathy uh, refers to an understanding of compassion for the hardship of others. And this is something we might be feeling right now in terms of what the people in Ukraine are going through. We, we might just feel Incredible sympathy for them. But empathy is something that takes that another step further. It goes a little bit deeper. And that refers to the capacity of someone to experience other people's feelings um, as if it was their own. It's almost as though we put ourselves in their shoes. So this morning when I was making my bed and getting ready to come to church, I had this moment where I thought of my friends, Vladimir and his wife, that they were not in their bed this morning. They were not making their bed. I don't know where they are. That is a different way of just saying, I know they're going through a hard time. I'm saying, I'm imagining what they must be feeling right now. Empathy takes us to a whole nother level. It shows a deeper sense of caring. And uh, I think some people might be more naturally empathetic But we can all learn to show empathy. And it's something we can all grow in. Um, I also think, you know, as, as Ed has implored us to come and pray, empathy is what moves us to pray. That sense of saying, actually, if I was in that situation, but for the grace of God, what would I want? I would want my brothers and sisters around the world to be praying and standing with me. It moves us to intercede. Um, in our day-to-day life. Um, There's a lady called Laura Click, and she's a writer and speaker, and she she says this about empathy. When something terrible happens to a friend or a loved one, it can be difficult to know what to say. That's why we often reach for one of these common responses. So we say things like, everything happens for a reason, or this too shall pass. Or have you heard someone say to you when you're going through a particular hard time, just look on the bright side? Or God has a plan in your pain. And all of these statements are true, and they're good in theory, but really, do they really help the other person feel much better? Um, Instead, sometimes what statements like that can do is it just minimizes the other person's pain and does little to connect with how they are feeling so sympathy, that is, that is hard to show sympathy, but sympathy without empathy can leave a person feeling invalidated as if their struggle is just something that needs to be fixed with a platitude, whereas empathy is putting yourself in their shoes and imagining what they are going through. So I want to just look at four little things that I think are helpful tools for us to cultivate a culture of empathy in our relationships Um, in those people that we might have in our lives that are going through difficult things. And the first thing I want to say that empathy does is it acknowledges their pain. Um, Perhaps the best thing that you can do is just to acknowledge how the other person feels. I don't know about you, but I'm a fixer and I just want to fix people's pain. But sometimes that's not what we're called to do. We're called just to acknowledge that they are in pain and that they're struggling and when you connect with someone's pain or struggle it really does help them feel supported it shows you understand or at least you're trying to understand how they might be feeling because people who are struggling or in pain what they really want is just to be heard and that they want validation that what they are going through is a very difficult thing So maybe this is something that empathy sounds like, rather, it says, I'm really sorry that you're going through this right now, or that must be really, really hard for you. Then the second thing is acknowledging how they feel, but then share how you feel. Sometimes it's actually okay just to say you don't know what to say, because maybe you could feel overwhelmed by another person's pain. But the main thing is not to diminish that person's experience uh, by making it all about you. <laughs> sometimes we can say, oh, you know, that's terrible. You should have heard what happened to me the other day. You know, I know we can do that. And sometimes it's meant to be encouraging, but it actually detracts from what that person is going through. And so when, when you're trying to share how you feel, maybe it's saying something like, wow. I I don't know what to say to that. I can't imagine what you must be going through. That's okay. That's all you need to say. Or it really makes me feel sad to hear this has happened. So share how you feel. And then the third thing is show gratitude or appreciation when a person has opened up to you. Many people struggle with vulnerability because they feel they may just be dismissed or judged when they open up their hearts, and so they don't want to share their struggles for fear that they won't receive an empathetic response. Because I want to say, when someone chooses to open up their hearts to you, it shows that they really trust you. It shows that they feel they can be safe with you, and it's our job to honour that And to respond with care. And let the person know that you really appreciate that they're sharing with you. And acknowledge that it might have been quite difficult for them to do that. And so what you might say to be empathetic, you might say, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm really glad that you told me. Thank you for trusting me with this. That really means a lot because it might have been really hard for you to share. And then the fourth thing is show interest. You know, going through difficulties, and I'm sure many, all of us have had times in our lives when we've gone through a real difficult time, it can feel terribly isolating and lonely. And that's why people share their struggles. They are longing for connection. They want someone to take an interest in their story and understand how they are feeling. And the best way to connect with someone is not by talking, but by listening. Um, I know sometimes if someone comes to you with a very difficult situation, you might feel overwhelmed and think, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't have good advice for this. And that's okay. I I don't think we're always called to give advice. Sometimes we're just called to be the listening ear, just to say, to nod and to be assuring and to be a a person who receives and hears. Um, so you can show your, your, your care when you're listening just by asking some questions to show you have genuine interest, like how are you feeling about everything or what has this been like for you? So these are just some little simple ways that we can cultivate a culture of empathy and sympathy as a church. So that is what that Peter is saying. Let's be people who really have empathy with one another, who have sympathetic hearts. We're not indifferent to each other. We acknowledge. And, and so maybe over coffee this morning, you might say to someone, how are you? And they might begin to really tell you how they are. Don't go, oh, don't why did I ask? <laughs> you, you go, you connect them in the eye and you listen and you give them your heart and your attention. And even if it's just to give a hug and just to listen, that's great. And maybe maybe over coffee might not be the best time. Then you, Maybe it's to make another time when you can talk when there's more opportunity. But let us be a people of sympathy and empathy. Then the third thing that uh, Peter speaks about is he says, so he says, be... Um, one of one mind keep in step with each other then he says uh, be sympathetic and have empathy for one another and then the next thing he says love each other as brothers and sisters and this is phil am i saying the greek right i'm getting thumbs up from john that's good (laughs) um so the concept of brotherly affection is a really, really, you might not think this, but it's a unique thing to Christianity, um, calling each other brothers and sisters, that no other religion does that. It's a, it's a wonderful, uniquely Christian thing, because in, in, in the church, we're not an organization, uh, we're not a club that you sign up for. Uh, we're not a, a union, a trade union or of the rights and pre- presenting everyone's rights. We are members of the body of Christ, and we are family in a special sense where God is our heavenly Father, and we are all brothers and sisters. So have a look around you. You've got some lovely brothers and sisters, and some of you are going, oh, I didn't know I was part of this family. <laughs> That's the thing about family—you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters. They are your, the ones that God knits your heart to, and it's a really, really precious thing. So, according to Strong's Concordance, this Greek word, verb "phileo" it means to show warm affection in intimate friendship. Uh, it's a—it's characteristic. But its, it's tender, heartfelt relationship, even kinship that you have between siblings. So I've got I've got Barbie. Okay, I'm going to embarrass you. Come here. <laughs> um, it's just for Ill- sermon illustration. For <laughs> she didn't know. I wasn't. I just saw you, so I thought. I'd... So this is my sister, my my blood sister, Barbie, and. Uh, <laughs> And we've got another sister, Shelley. she's in South Africa. Both of them are married to Kevin's, so that's always very easy if we forget our brother-in-law's name. Um, but uh, Barbie and I, we, we've got, I think, two years between us. I'm the, I'm the older one, the very bossy older sister. And, uh, <laughs> and we've had some really interesting things growing up, haven't we, Barbie? So we've had times in our lives where we've been really good friends and then times when we really used to fight a lot. Uh, Barbie always used to have nice clothes when we were teenagers and I used to go into a cupboard and just help myself to clothes. You didn't like that, eh? But Barbie Barbie was very fierce. Do you want to say some things? (laughs) Listen, I learned to run very fast and hide away. I was a bully. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But, but now, in our, in our, in our older years, we've, it's been just wonderful to have a, a wonderful friendship as well. So we've gone through years of learning and growing. So I do love you, Barbie, and my other sister. <laughs> yeah. um, so why I'm saying this is, you know, when we come to church and we, we talk about that we are a family, um, you know, sometimes we can relate to each other like colleagues or we can relate to each other like um, strangers or acquaintances, but the Bible teaches us that this, these people are your family. They're your brothers and sisters. And sibling relationships can have the ups and downs but there's something that bonds brothers and sisters that is unlike any other relationship. It's the kind of relationship where you are known and you're accepted warts and all. Um, I know Barbie, even if I'm a pain, Barbie still loves me. Um, and we may see each other's worst sides, but we can still be ourselves. Don't you feel like that? Um, we, we still feel like, uh oh, I might might have been all rude and unkind, but they'll still love you the next day when you wake up. And we can be so at home uh, in a sibling relationship that that even if we have an argument, we don't fear that the person will walk out on us because we are family. Um, And so this is how Peter encourages us to build relationship with each other in the church family. Sometimes we can bring our dysfunctional experiences of family life into church family life, and we fear that people will treat us badly or that we we walk away instead of resolving issues because this is how our own families may do things. But Peter is saying that God's family needs to be a safe, covenant-keeping community where we can be ourselves, have our blind spots challenged, without recrimination, and find wholeness and acceptance. So when Paul addresses how we are to treat each other in God's family, he also uses similar language, and I, I wanted to just share this with you. And he, Paul also speaks about this in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 2. And he says, Never speak, to an, never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother. And treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Isn't that beautiful? It changes something when we start to see each other in that light. When we start to say, ah, you are like a mother to me. You are like a sister and a brother and a father to me. And we can begin to honor each other with those very, very precious kind of lenses in how we see each other, so that's just something to think about. so oh, you can we, we won't go into that kind of Pentecostal mode where we all go, "Hello, brother, hello, sister." I mean you can, <laughs> but um, I don't call Barbara sister, but you you might want to just be acknowledging that this is my brother, this is my sister. Then the next thing that Peter says is he says, "Be tender-hearted," and here the Greek word is "eusplachnos." You really, I'm going to get a medal for this pronunciation, "eusplachnos." It sounds quite terrible. It sounds like a swear word, <laughs> but it means be tender-hearted. And it means to be moved with compassion or beholding the weaknesses and distresses of others and to do all you can to assist and relieve them. And we read a beautiful little story in the Gospels where Jesus demonstrates tenderheartedness. And it's in Mark 3, verses 1 to 6. And we read this. It says... Jesus went into the synagogue again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies were watching him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Shock, horror. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored at once the pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus here we have a story where we have a man who couldn't use his hand he was comp- he it must have meant he couldn't work and Jesus feels tender-hearted and compassion for this man and he heals him but look at these pharisees Jesus is angry when he looks at them and he feels so sad that their hearts were hard. You see, the Pharisees were more concerned with being right and having their lives in neat little boxes of how people should and shouldn't behave. And they were so rigid that they could not even have compassion on someone who was in pain and to have their hand healed. Jesus was really angered at their judgmental self-righteousness. And so when Peter writes this letter to the church, he was there. He observed that happening. He saw how Jesus was tender-hearted to those around him. He saw him live that through the acts of kindness and compassion. And so Peter understood that as God's children, we are to show that same heart towards one another. And this is how we can submit to each other when we see each other through God's eyes of tenderness. You know, one of my most, I love these words of Jesus. He says, a bruised reed he will not crush. A smoldering wick he will not snuff. If you see someone who's a bruised reed or their life has been diminished to a smoldering wick, you don't go and smack them. You're tender-hearted, you're kind, because everyone has some area of brokenness. And that's how we are to be mindful of each other, and to be tender-hearted towards one another. So that's what Peter says. And then the fifth and last of these little things is he says, Keep a humble attitude, philophron. Which means, in the Greek, it actually means to be courteous, and I think today when we think of being courteous, we think of being polite and well-mannered. Uh, but Peter's meaning has a much deeper way, meaning it's, it's meaning to be humble and to not be self-absorbed. It's to be other thought, other-centered. And I think uh, Paul describes this beautifully in these words in Philippians 2, verse 3 to 11. I know you probably know them well, but this unpacks this, this philophron word, best. And it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Think about everyone here. It's not to diminish any sense of self-esteem that you have, but actually that you can think more of others. Think more of their interests and what is good about for them than for yourself. Don't look only to your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And we can learn this from the attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Yeah, how many of us want to be identified as criminals? Jesus even took on that identity. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You see, humility has nothing to prove. It's generous-hearted. It seeks the welfare of others above its own reputation, because it rests in God's promises and faithfulness to perform what he's promised there's no competition in the, in the body of Christ. We are to look out for each other and to be mindful of each other. So those are those five little things that Paul says Christian submission in the body is meant to look like. And then, just to finish off with, I'm going to just say what he then goes into almost like a negative thing, uh, what submission is not. And he says in 1 Peter 3 verse 9, he says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when insults, when, when people insult you, and don't retaliate with insults. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you a blessing. In the church, in the church family, we don't behave like the world does We don't hold out on people when they offend us by snubbing them or sulking with them. Nah. Nah. It's just like not part of this family. None of that behavior. We don't gossip and slander people when we are offended by them. Instead, Peter says we respond by blessing them. (laughs) How many of you know that takes grace? God's supernatural enabling to bless someone you're really annoyed with. And how do we do this? By forgiving. Cultivating a practice of forgiving quickly. Keep a short account. Don't hold out on people. Keep our conversations seasoned with grace. Let's be wholesome and edifying in how we speak. Let's check our motives and see if we're carrying any anger or maybe insecurities or disappointments towards other people. I'm not talking about just stoical, like, ho-hum, I'm really hurting and I'm just going to smile. Uh, I'm not speaking about sweeping things under the carpet, but rather it's about lovingly working things through if someone has hurt you and and, if it's, and just to try and find a way to work those things out. Uh, Paul does say, as far as it depends on you, live at, at peace with all people. There are some situations where you've done all you can. You've pushed in as much as you can, but there's, there's an irreconcilable uh, difference or something that's hard. Then then, that is not, then you have to submit that to God and trust him and to keep praying for restoration. But as far as possible, we try to live at peace with all people. And Why? Do we live like this? Well, Peter says, because this is how God has called us to live as his family. And he promises that when we live like this, he has an inheritance stored up for us. And it is a blessing. And this inheritance is both here on earth, because it means our relationships are blessed. But it's also for heaven one day. We start to make life choices with eternity in mind it changes everything when you think one day I will be with our father in heaven and he'll say how did you treat your brother it's like dad calling you why did you why did you pull your sister's hair why were you a naughty boy or naughty girl God will say why did you why were you unkind and just ignored your brother or sister Um, please I'm not putting any guilt things on anyone I'm just trying to use an example but we live with that. We want to hear our father say, you know, well done, mate. Your sister was a real stinky person and you still loved them. You know, that, that's the kind of thing that we're going to hear from our father one day. We make choices with eternity in mind. Because it's something that we really wanted to emphasize at Forest Town Church is that you can't lose your salvation but actually, the choices we make affect whether we have our inheritance that God has for us. You can't, you can't suddenly not be God's child. If you're his child, you're his child. You know, that's it. He loves you. But we can lose some of the rewards and the inheritance uh, when we don't submit to his ways for our lives. And God is waiting to pour out his blessing on our lives when we live with humility towards him and as our Father, and towards our brothers and sisters. And then I'm just going to end with this. So Paul, at the end of this section, in verse 12 to 16, we're talking about Peter, not Paul. Peter quotes a scripture, which is actually Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And it says, For the scripture says, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, Keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now Peter's quotes, I think it's really interesting that he quotes the Psalms, because it's a model for us in our preaching, and also in how we build our lives. You see, when he's teaching the church about how all of us are meant to be towards one another, he references scripture as the foundation for his thoughts. He's not preaching some good ideas or man-made precepts. These are the very commands of God to us that he's unpacking for us. So when we preach... Or when we exhort one another to godliness, let's never put our own opinions onto people and so burden them. And let us always be those who build our own lives and those that we get to invest in on the living word of God. Let's take the words of Peter to heart because they are God's very words to us as a church family. And he promises us that in keeping of them, there is great reward. So I'm going to just read those verses to you again. This is what the Lord is saying to us as Forest Town Church family. Let's go away this week and let's start to say, Lord, these are quite hard for me, but I know by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, I can begin to be a good part of this family, an edifying part of this family. So finally, all of us should be of one mind. Keep in step. Sympathize. Show empathy towards one another. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called us to do and he's going to pour out his blessing on this church as we begin to live like that and continue to live like that because I know you do already so um, that's what I wanted to share on our next portion but I wanted to pray with us all this morning how many of you need pray for those things just a few yeah so let's stand together and I'm going to pray for God's grace for us that we can be family to each other. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. God, we just quieten our hearts before you now. We have inexpressible gratitude that we get to be part of your family. Thank you that we are not orphans Thank you that we are not aliens, but that you've called us to be part of what you are building, your wonderful church, and that your church is a family because you are our Father. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us that you would give us the grace and the love, the tender heartedness and the sympathy to love one another deeply from the heart and that everyone in this church would see their place in this family as someone who is um, valued and important as they would in any family. And Father, for those of us who may have difficult families of our own, we pray, Father, that you would um, heal those wounds, heal those parts of our lives where we've not had families that have maybe been edifying and strong and encouraging. But Lord, we want to pray that you would help us to find the outworking of that in this wonderful, precious thing called your church, your family. And I pray your blessing would come and be poured out into our lives as we walk in step with you. And we want to thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.